Well, good morning. It is great to be back with everybody today. Spring is in the air, right? Yeah, beautiful weather. Baseball season's right around the corner. Uh, If you're a Royals fan, that might not be very good news. Um, Another year of losing, but in 2015, Royals were on top. I don't know if you are a baseball fan, but in 2015, the Kansas City Royals won the World Series. 30-year absence from almost even making the playoffs, it seemed, but 30-year absence from winning the World Series, the Kansas City Royals did what seemed impossible because they had no really huge names. They, they weren't a huge ball team or anything. They, they were just were, they're from Kansas, I'm, well, Missouri, but not much different. But they won the World Series, and everybody that was a Royals fan rejoiced. Because we proved, we, I wasn't even a part of it, but the Royals proved once and for all that they were the best team in Major League Baseball until the following year. When all the rejoicing returned back to mourning, because since 2015, if you are a Royals fan, you remember and know that they have not experienced a winning season since. Now, they've had a tying season where I think they went 81 and 81, but they have not had a season where they have won more games than they've lost. But for that one year, 2015, their fans were on top of the world. I mean, they were rejoicing. They found happiness. I mean, it was almost when they won that World Series that all the world's problems disappeared Kind of like any sporting event that you really go to, when your team wins, like when the Texas Longhorns beat the Oklahoma Sooners in, you know, their games, which happens frequently. But, uh, you know, like we rejoice, or I do. Nobody else does, because apparently I'm in the minority here. But we rejoice. Whenever your team wins, whenever something good, whenever, whenever the person or the thing that you are rooting for wins, you rejoice. You find reason to be happy. It's like for that thing alone, I can find happiness. And then as we've kind of talked about before, you wake up the next day and you realize life is still difficult. There are still problems in this world. I still have to go to work. I still have to deal with those people. I still have to pay the bills. I still have those body aches. I still have whatever it is. You are quickly reminded, oh yeah, it's still life. And life happens. And so we find reasons to celebrate, but those reasons, a lot of times when we put them in things of this world, quickly disappear. They quickly step away from us. And that's the thing with so many people in this world. Their source of joy is fleeting. But what Jesus is going to tell us today is that we have a source of joy that should last all our lives. That it is a true source of joy. That when we grasp this one thing, when we understand what it truly means, we should be filled with joy. It's why Paul while writing the book of Philippians, from prison for Jesus is able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. It's why Paul is able to say in that book, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
Why Paul is able to say, I have gone through heartache. I have gone through uh, persecution. I, have, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty, to be hungry, to be fed. And I have found through everything how to be content. And then he says the all famous verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. It's why Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, my weakness is actually where I find strength because I have understood what it means to truly find joy because he grasped what Jesus is about to tell us in our text this morning. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 as we're looking at people who are encountering Jesus And they're having that connection with him where he is sharing a truth with them that should change their lives. But it's also encounters that Jesus wants to have with us today here. So if you'll stand, we're going to read Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. And it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Father God, we come before you, and we are so grateful that, God, we get to come, and God, we have the freedom to openly profess Jesus Christ is Lord, and Jesus Christ is our Savior, and God, we can say that right now, and we don't have fear of somebody coming in, and God, we we thank you for the freedom that we have, but God, I also pray if that freedom be taken away from us like it is in so many parts of the world, we still boldly have the confidence to say Jesus Christ is Lord and our Savior. And so God, I pray that as we open up your word, as we read what you have to say, let it be your message. God, help us remove the distractions and the worries and the stress and let us encounter you this morning in a way that we have not encountered you before so that we can be transformed, so that we can be your people and God, we can find eternal life in you. God, this is only possible through what you have done for us. And so it's in the name of Jesus that we ask all these things and we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. And so what we see in Luke chapter 10 is Jesus, his, his message is really starting to grow. I mean, he's starting to perform miracles. Like he's already turned water into wine at a wedding. He's feeding masses. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. And he's realizing that his time on earth is short. I mean, his public ministry was really only three years, and people are starting to gather around him a lot. And so Jesus is realizing, I got to get the word out a lot quicker. And so what Jesus does is he sends out his followers, 70 or 72, depending on what translation you read. It's a lot of people that he's sending out to go into the cities to start proclaiming what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is. And so he sends them out, and in Luke chapter 10, we see what they are going to be able to do and what they're going to be encountering. It's not like a mission trip to Hawaii, 
where it's like, I'm going to sit on the beaches and I'm going to play worship music and call it a mission trip. No, they're actually going to be encountering some terrible, difficult things. We see in Luke chapter 10, verse 3, that they are going to encounter dangers. Jesus tells them, you are going to be lambs in the midst of wolves. And then Jesus tells them, this is the urgency of the message. He says, don't even stop and greet anybody on the road, but instead go with the mission. Don't stop for small talk. Don't stop and talk about the weather. I'm sending you out. Go. It's urgent. Prepare the way. That's what Jesus said they're going to be able to do. They are healing the sick. That's in Luke 10 verse 9 that Jesus says, when you go, you are to heal the sick. And then he said in verse 11, share the kingdom of God. That it is here, that it is present, that it is near. This is what Jesus started his ministry saying. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is a message that they were sent to go out and share. And they were going to have power. They were going to be able to heal people. And so they go out, and then they're finally starting to return. And they are coming back because it is like that victory that they received. I mean, it's like, whoo, like I'm sure they're walking along, finding each other as they're doing it and like just sharing like, hey, we, we cast out this demon. Like, man, it was awesome. Like he was scary. He was foaming at the mouth and everything. He was vicious. And we were like, be gone. And he came out and it's like, that's awesome. And then we, like this guy, he couldn't walk. We said, get up, be healed. And he got up and he was healed. Like, isn't that incredible? And it's like, yeah, but Jesus said we'd be healing. He didn't tell us we were casting out demons. Like, that's incredible stuff. And so I can see their excitement. I mean, if somebody started foaming at the mouth here and some, one of you came up and was like, get out of him, and it came out, I would be like, that was incredible. Like, I don't, maybe you guys want it. I mean, it's just like, yeah, another day. We'd see that all the time. Like, it would be incredible. I would be rejoicing. I would be hitting up social media. You guys aren't even going to believe it. You had to be there to know that it was true. And that's what they're experiencing. And so, yeah, they're returning with joy. They're like, oh my goodness, like we in the name of Jesus cast out demons. Like a lot of people had done that before, but it was this long drawn out exorcism. We in the name of Jesus and all the demons, oh my goodness, excuse me. We cast out demons in the name of Jesus. So instead of coming back exhausted and worn out, they were invigorated. They were excited. And they were ready to tell Jesus all about it. And notice they give credit to God. They say in verse 17, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's like they had an encounter with Jesus. Like Jesus, man, like we were following you. And we saw you do some pretty cool stuff, but we didn't realize that power was going to come to us. We didn't really realize how powerful you really were. We're starting to grasp it a little bit more who you say you are and who we can be when we're walking with you. It's like, Jesus, we can do some pretty great stuff. Bring on Rome. Let's free our people. I mean, that's what would be going through their mind. And who would not be thrilled at this? I mean, honestly, who would not be coming back super excited? I mean, you have like the mission trip high where when you go overseas or you go on a mission trip and you spend that time devoted to Christ, growing in him, you come back and it's like, yeah, we're ready to take on the world. 
Like, we are ready to go. And then something happens, and it's called life, and it hits. And we're like, oh my goodness, so much for being ready to take on the world. I'm not even ready to take on today. And, but in this moment, they are excited. But Jesus tells them, that's not what you should be rejoicing in. In Luke chapter 10, we read it, starting in verse 18. He said, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. I mean, if Jesus told us that today, would we not be thrilled? Would you not be like, all right, let's go. Nothing's going to be able to hurt me. Like he says, serpents, like I'm not touching those. And then Jesus is saying, you could touch them and they won't even hurt you. And it's like, all right, let's go back to Mexico, wherever that fur to lance thing is that could bite me and kill me. I'm ready. Like I could do that again. But Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Is it worthy to rejoice in? Yes. But Jesus says, that's not what you should truly find your joy in. Instead, Jesus says, the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is where your true source of joy should come from. Not in a baseball team, not in any sports team, not in a political figure, not in your job, not in your family, not in your status. Your joy should come from where your name is written. If you have received Jesus, your joy should come in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. Notice that what Jesus tells us. He's saying, hey, the works that you did for me, that's pretty good. You know, y'all went out, you were doing this, that's a good thing. But don't think that what you are doing for me is greater than what I am going to do for you. Don't think that your work for God is greater than God's work for you. Because God gave you eternal life. We've never been able to do that. We are not able to give eternal life to anybody. We can share the source of it. But our joy should come from what God did for us, not from what we can do. How many times do we try and find our identity in what we can do? So many times we're looking for our identity in what I'm able to accomplish. I try and find my joy in that. I try and find my joy in working for money because money will bring me joy, which is not true because money's going to disappear. Money's going to go less and less far. We're going to spend it and it's going to be gone. It's not going to bring me joy. I'm going to work for, for earning a bigger name. If I could just, you know, get us to reach a thousand people, then a thousand people would know who I am, and then I would finally feel accomplished because I have such a public status. And then I'll find joy. Your public status is not going to bring you joy. It's, it's going to bring you probably more heartache. Because the more people you have know you, the more people you're going to have not like you probably. And so then you're not going to find joy in earning a name for yourself. Well, what about for you younger people? It's like, well, if I date the right person, 
then I'll find joy. If only, oh, like homecoming queen, let's go out, you and I, and then I will have joy in the person that I date. You're not going to have joy in finding the right person. I mean, yes, you should be looking for who God has set for you. And I have found the, sorry guys, the perfect woman exists, but she's taken and I got her. But you can't find joy in who that person is. You find joy ultimately in who Christ is. Well, what about, you know, I, God gave me these talents. I'm going to pursue everything to be the best at what I'm good at. I'm going to skip. I'm going to miss. I'm going to give up. I'm going to wholeheartedly pursue what is in front of me because that, when I'm able to say that I am the best in this field, that's when I'm going to find joy. And it's like, no, because someday you're going to wake up and realize I'm not the best anymore. And I'm never, I never was the best. There's always somebody who is going to be better than you. That's not going to find joy. Jesus tells us in this passage that us even doing God's work should not be the source of joy for us. Instead, he says, find joy in the fact that you are a child of God. Find your joy in not what you do, but in whose you are are. Because Jesus, based on nothing that we could ever do, nor can do, nor ever will do, chose to love us. Jesus, let me say that again. Jesus, based on nothing we've done, are doing, or ever will do, chose to love us. Instead, Jesus chose to love us in spite of everything we've ever done. In spite of every single time we've let Jesus down, we've defiantly said, I know what your word says, forget your word, I'm doing what I want to do. Jesus said, I choose you still. He chose us. Jesus wants to be and is our eternal source of joy. We just need to grasp that. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul starts out his letter this way. By saying that Christ chose us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Jesus chose you. Before, notice it says, before the foundation of the world. Were you born yet? No. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to choose them. I'm going to know every time that they defy me. I'm going to know every time that they reject me, deny me, lie about me, curse me, blame me, run away from me. I know every time they're doing that and it hasn't even happened. And yet I choose them. Because he loves you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. It tells us, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even, catch this, even when you were dead in your trespasses. Not that you were alive, not that you were living great for God. When you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him 
And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. You're not going to be able to save yourself. It's not a result of works so that you can't boast saying, well, I was good enough. I attended enough. I gave enough. I served enough. I did enough. Not based on your own works. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what you rejoice in. That God chose you. Did he have to? No. But he chose to. Honestly, wiping out the entire planet is probably the less painful option. But he said, nope, I love them. I'm choosing them. And I'm going to pave the way for them. I'm going to do it all. Notice how many times in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, we had a part in it. Zero. He chose us. I mean, I guess the part you want to play is we were the ones that were dead in our transgressions. We killed ourselves with our sins. But he made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us with him. He gave us grace. It's not by our own doing. So stop trying to earn it. Stop thinking you can give God a one-up so then you can have that God you owe me now. It will never be that way. It will always be we are totally in debt to God, but God says, I'm going to wipe the debt clean. I'm going to choose you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you relationship with me. I'm going to give you joy that surpasses even, you don't even understand it. I'm going to give you that joy. But notice how Jesus continues on in our passage. Because not only does our joy come from God, we're not going to find joy in anything else. We're only going to find joy in what God did for us and what God says we are. But notice as Jesus continues on, Jesus rejoices over this fact. So our joy comes from God, and his joy comes from us. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I lived with myself this week. There was not necessarily a lot of shining moments where there was a lot of joy in my life. And it's like, why would God find joy in that? But notice in verse 21, it says, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Notice it says, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Now that, that word rejoice is not like a lot of us are in the church where it's like, oh, that was a good song. Golf clap, you know. Like, can't get too rowdy. That word means literally he was thrilled. 
Like Jesus is like, hey, y'all's name is written in the book of life. I'm going to jump up and down like we just won the World Series. We're partying. We're throwing high fives to each other. We're Christian partying. We're throwing high fives to each other. Like we are going to rejoice that these people's names are written in the book of life. That's what Jesus says a couple chapters later in Luke chapter 15 with the parable of the lost sheep. 99 stayed, one left, and that one comes back after the shepherd goes to find that one, comes back, and Jesus says there is more rejoicing in heaven over the one who was lost and came home. And I don't think that their joy is like, yay, woohoo. I think they are rejoicing. I think we should be rejoicing that our names are written in the book of life because I can tell you Jesus is rejoicing about it. He says it right there in verse 21. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit that these things were revealed to them. And so often, I mean, we get into the mindset that God begrudgingly gave Jesus. Like, I mean, you know, we're not perfect. So we commit that sin that, yes, we even know God told us, don't do that. And we had the conversation with God of, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it anyways. And then we think, all right, God, like, I guess you were handcuffed. Like, you said you were going to save me, so you're bound by your word. So you have to save me still. But really, if you could do it all over again, you probably wouldn't. Like, we think that God begrudgingly loves us. Like, man, I made them. I'm stuck with them for life, I guess. That's not how it is. That is not the case. He rejoices when we come to him. He rejoices when we place our names in his book, which is only placed there through the work that Jesus did. He rejoices at that. I heard a song this week, and it said, if Jesus died for all my sins, he'd have to die a million times over. So wrong. So, so wrong. You see, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. He lived a perfect life. So Jesus didn't just die for all your sins. He died for the sins of the whole world. First Timothy tells us that God desires that all men be saved. And his grace never runs out. So maybe you're here. You came and you're like, well, I'm going to come because maybe that'll put me in good graces with God today. Maybe if I come today, it'll cover over what I did this week. It's not what you do that does that. It is what Jesus did once and for all. You cannot earn God's favor. Instead, God gives it to you freely. He chose to love you. He chose to give his favor on you. That's why it's called grace. Grace is us getting what we entirely do not deserve. Mercy would be don't give them hell. You die, you're done, that's mercy. Like not needing to spend eternity in hell. Grace is God saying, I'm gonna one-up that. I'm going to give you heaven. I'm going to give you a hope. I'm gonna give you a purpose, an identity. I'm gonna give you so much that this world cannot give you. So whatever reason, you're telling yourself in your head, yeah, but. See, Andy, you don't really understand. See, if God really knew, he knows. 
And he says, still, I choose. Still, I love. And maybe you're like, well, I'm not smart enough. You know, you need one of those degrees to be able to do it. Or, you know, maybe I, I'm not influential enough or whatever it is. Notice who God decided to reveal these things to. In verse 21, it says that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The disciples were religious school dropouts. The disciples were not influential. The disciples were not the religious elite. They were fishermen, zealots, tax collectors, ordinary people. I mean, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the religious leaders look at Peter and John and they say that they are uncommon, ordinary, or not uncommon, they are untrained, common. They're just run-of-the-mill, not educated people. But yet, he says, they've been with Jesus. We can tell. There's nothing special about these guys. But we can also tell, man, they have walked with Jesus. And Jesus finds his joy when we enter into a relationship with him. He's rejoicing over it, over you entering into his family. Again, Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, remember, look at these words, remember that you were at that time separated. So we used to not be able to be with God. We used to not be in relationship. At that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in this world. But, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has brought you in. And if you're not brought in, it's not because Jesus hasn't paved the way. He's saying, hey, you can be brought in. I want to bring you in. And I'm not doing it begrudgingly. I'm not sitting there like, man, I got to bring that guy in now. He's saying, no, I want you to come to me. Verse 19 of Ephesians 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. God wants to bring you in if you are not already in. If you are already in, you're in. God is rejoicing over you. God loves you. God is saying he is thrilled about you. So find your identity, find your purpose, find everything based on that. And not on any of this garbage that the world tries to offer. Because all that garbage is going to waste away. But our true joy comes in whose we are. So the question is, Have you received that source of joy? Is your name written in the book of life? I don't know. I didn't find it. Where do I write it? It's found in Jesus. In receiving him. In placing your faith in him. Paul tells us in Romans, to all who believed in Jesus, who called on his name. That's not Romans. That's Ephesians. 
In Romans, he says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That one is Romans. But he says, hey, salvation, it comes not from what you do, but in who you place your faith in. So have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And so for many of us, we're, we're like, yes, I have. I have found Jesus to be my only way to God. I found Jesus to be my only hope for eternal life. So the challenge, I would say, is walk in that daily. Because you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Monday's going to come, unless God comes back. That, I'm, I'm welcome to that. But if he doesn't, Monday's going to come. And you're going to encounter your coworkers. You're going to encounter your family. You're going to encounter your children. You're going to encounter something that is going to drive you crazy. That is going to test you and be like, I have no joy right now. We always have joy. Even if they say, hey, we're coming for you, knocking on your door. You a Christian? Yeah. All right, come with us. You're going to jail. You can still, as Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Let me repeat, rejoice. Because our joy is found in Christ. So if you are a believer, you have a joy that lasts from this moment till eternity. Because that joy can never be taken away from you. That joy is found not in what you do, but in whose you are. And that is a child of God. But if you have not found that joy, if you're missing out on it, it's not because it's not being offered. It is offered to you here and now, and you are missing out on a relationship with the creator of the universe. You are missing out on the ultimate source of love. A love that you will never experience in any other relationship. That's what you're missing out on if you are not placing your faith in Jesus. And the thing is, he's not hiding from you. He's knocking at the door of your heart right now. If you are hearing my voice, if you are listening to this, it's because God is saying, I want a relationship with you. Every single person who is hearing my voice, God is saying, I want a relationship with you. I want to enter into your life. I want to have an encounter with you. And I want to show you hope. I want to show you purpose. I want to show you whatever the world says about you. I have something entirely different. And it is far better. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, which right now, that is the word of God. If you're hearing it, you're hearing the voice of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I will eat with him. And he eat with me. That eating with him means it is the most intimate relationship with God. Like, hey, I'm coming and I'm coming to stay. I'm coming, and I'm going to make myself at home, and I'm going to be with you. I don't plan on leaving. Jesus will not leave you. But I have to say what the alternative is as well. Because there's a, a movement going on that it's all heaven and no hell. But that's not true. 
And I'm not saying this because I'm trying to scare people into a conversion, but the reality is still there. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Jesus says that if your name is not written in the book of life, the one that we find our ultimate source of joy in, if your name's not written in there, there is an eternal hell to pay. There is an eternal payment. Eternal means it will never end. You think you have a bad day now. I don't even want to spend a second. I mean, in the the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man goes to Hades and he's like, just send Lazarus, let him dip his finger in water and come touch my lips so that I can get a little relief. And it's like, no, there's a chasm between us. And then he's like, well, at least let Lazarus go back and warn my family because I don't want them coming here. And it's like, if they're not going to believe the prophets, if they're not going to believe in the word of God, they're not going to believe somebody raising from the dead and going back and telling them. It is a warning to us that this is real, that it's serious. So for believers, look at this. There are people that we know whose names are not in the book of life. That if Jesus came back today, we would not be rejoicing with them. And they would not be rejoicing at all. And God has entrusted it to his people to go with that message. So believers, I challenge you that as well. Let's get serious about sharing the source of joy that we have. And then again, I want to issue the invitation. If you do not have your name written in the book of life, if you're like, man, I don't know. I I don't think I do. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I haven't placed my faith in him. He's saying, hey, come to me. I'm knocking on the door. Open it. Let me in and let me transform you from the inside out. Don't miss out on that opportunity to find a joy that goes beyond what you can do, what you will do, or what you have ever done. The joy is found in Jesus and Jesus only. Father God, thank you for, for what you have done. God, as Ephesians told us, God, we were dead in our trespasses, and yet, God, you paved a way so that we can stand here before you and God. We can find hope. No matter what we're going through, God, we know we have an eternal hope one that goes beyond the end of this life. And so God, I pray for your people, those who have their names written in your book. Thank you for allowing us to have our names in your book because it's not based on what we've done. But God, may we walk in the assurance of that. May we walk with that joy. And God, may we also as your people who you have entrusted your message to May we get serious about sharing your word. And then, God, I pray for the hearts of those here whose names are not written. For those who maybe are hearing my voice somewhere else who have not placed their faith in you. God, let them see that you are knocking on the door. God, let them place their faith in you. Let them just take that step and say, I need Jesus. 
and then God guide them, bring people near. We're here, so if they need to come forward and talk, give them the courage to do that. If they need to find somebody sitting next to them or call somebody or whatever it is, God, to help them find who you are, give them the courage to do that. Let them take that step of faith, and then God, let them walk with you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus.